With the Green Bay Packers in win-now mode, trying to get every last bit out of Aaron Rodgers, does that mean they need to change the way that they draft, prioritizing players who could help them early, even if it means giving up some upside on the back end? I make the case that just the opposite is true. Plus, Trevor Sikama from Pro Football Focus joins us to try and identify who some of those players could be in the upcoming draft. You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. We really do. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Floats it. Your team. Oh, every day. Touchdown. You are locked on Packers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm here with and I cover the Packers for The Leap. A newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. You can follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Trevor Sikama from Pro Football Focus is on the show today. We're going to talk a bunch of NFL draft stuff with him. Thanks to everyone who makes Locked on Packers their first listen of the day every day. We hope you like starting your day with us as much as we like starting our day with you. Let's start our show with this question that I got from a listener on Twitter. And that was about the Packers' approach. Does the fact that this Aaron Rodgers timeline is uncertain, that it could be one year, it could be two years, it could be three, it's probably not going to be more than that. Does that change the way you draft players? And the logic here is intuitive, right? Get guys who have high floors, who you think can come in and help this team right now and and give this football team in 2022 the best chance to win, and then in 2023 the best chance to win because we feel confident in what they can be. That is the premise of the potential argument. And and I don't know that, that those asking this question are saying this is the way that it should be done. I, I think it's a reasonable question to ask. Here is the problem with that viewpoint. And I do think teams do this, by the way. I think they chase need, and I think they chase floor. They chase players who do not have high ceilings because they have high floors. They're prioritizing the floor. Hey, well, we know this guy can just come in and give us something. And that's more important to us than trying to find and hit a home run Understanding that it means we could strike out. A lot of decisions are made out of job preservation, not out of the best interest of the franchise. Here is the problem with that. The things that make good players good, and I mean really good, are the things that give you a high upside. A player like Jair Alexander, he was not someone who you would go, okay, well, their they're, they're floor, the floor is why you take Jair. He was not quite the same sort of Rashawn Gary type high upside player, but we knew what the physical tools were. He was a little undersized, but incredible athletic gifts, tenacious, physical ball skills, the things that make him good, the things that made him a high ceiling player, 
are the traits that make him a good football player. And what usually you're asking when you're asking the question about someone that can come in right away is you're asking for an older player and a less athletic player. Usually high floor, low ceiling is code for not a great athlete. And it means, well, I think they're just a good football player so they can just come in and help you. Here's the problem. Mistakes are made all the time trying to translate someone who was just a good football player in college but doesn't have the elite athletic ability into the NFL. There are aberrations all the time. But you are going to miss just as much searching for floor than you are with ceiling. There is no magic bullet in the draft. So why? Why waste a pick on floor in exchange for ceiling? Now, I I do think there are questions to be asked about need. The Packers have traditionally picked with need in mind, and their goal is always to be thinking a year, two years, three years down the line. And you can do that when you have very few holes to patch. In the case of the Packers, other than receiver, I don't think there is a no-doubt starter in this draft for them. I've said that. I've been consistent about that over the course of the last few months. If you could find a guard, I just but I don't see the value in taking a guard early, and so I, I just wouldn't do that. Edge three, not really a starter, a useful and important person, and they could be a starter in a year or two. That's why there's some upside in the first round. Safety, same deal. They could be a starter next year um, and, and be a safety three this year, playing 30, 40 plus percent of snaps for the Packers and help them win now. Outside of receiver, there isn't a bunch of like holes to fill. They've they've got a very, very good roster, a, a Super Bowl caliber roster right now outside of the receiver position. And so that makes it very easy to focus in. Now, if you want to say, does that make or or incentivize the team to try and move up, to target that one player, that Drake London, that Traylon Burks, if if that's the kind of player that they're really into, that Jamison Williams, I don't I don't think so. But and the answer is a definite maybe. I do think that the Packers view that as an option to say, if we think this guy is the alpha to go get, to go up and get him, and they have the extra draft capital to do that and still have the flexibility to go find other options in the draft. And so if you're the Packers, I don't think you change anything about the way that you view your draft strategy. And what I think is interesting is if you go back and look at last year, last year is as much a draft for now draft as we've seen from Brian Gutekunst. Now that first one in 2018, Jair Alexander absolutely was a draft for now, but they also traded out of their first pick. That was a for the future decision. Now they moved back up to get Jair because they desperately needed defensive backs. They trade they took Josh Jackson in the second, I think primarily because they couldn't believe he was still there. I don't think they intended to go double corner. I think they were shocked and they liked the value there. But last year, they they draft Eric Stokes, who ended up being a starter and I think was going to be given the chance to start early 
They needed a corner. They knew that. They needed a center. They drafted Josh Myers. And at the time, they needed a slot receiver. They drafted one. So when you look at this class and they needed depth at linebacker, they got it with McDuffie. They needed depth along the defensive line. They got it with TJ Slayton. That I mean, that is the model. And so if you take that model and transpose it to now, the draft looks a lot like I think the draft would otherwise look. You have to get a receiver early, first round. They've got two first round picks. They're going to take one in the first round. They're going to break the spell this year. I know a lot of Packer fans are, are guarding their hearts on this. They're going to take a receiver in the first round. And they're going to take an edge and they're going to take a safety and they're going to take an offensive lineman because they they do those things and they plan for the future. And in the future, they're going to need an outside linebacker when Preston Smith is no longer worth what he's being paid. And they're going to need a safety when and if they decide that Adrian Amos is not worth extending. And they're, they need a receiver now. And they're probably going to need a receiver in a year. They need to take two receivers. And they probably need to sign one too. Who knows? Trades. Whatever. It doesn't change anything about the, the way the Packers have to operate. And what's more, what you want for this team is to keep chasing upside. They need to take the big swings. And they have the roster that can accommodate that. You want to you draft that, that twitched up edge rusher who is all upside, the Drake Jackson type? He's been flashes at USC. You have the green light to do that because you have a roster where he doesn't have to play right away. You want to take Christian Watson? Eh, that gets a little tougher. <laughs> but they need a receiver. They're going to draft a receiver early. So it's almost like it doesn't matter. Readiness versus not ceiling versus floor. If you take the best guys, the guys with the best traits, those tend to be the best prospects. So it makes sense to do that. It makes sense to draft those guys. So I don't see anything about the Packers window changing their approach to the kinds of players that they draft. I do think it potentially changes the players that they draft in terms of planning for the future versus now. I think in another in a different time in 2013 maybe they wouldn't have the same level of urgency to get a receiver that they do now. But it's not going to change the type of receiver that they would have otherwise drafted. They are going to take a receiver in this draft. They're going to take an edge rusher in this draft. They're going to take a safety in this draft. They're going to take an offensive lineman. You can write that in ink. They're going to do all that stuff. So for the Packers, the goal is to get maximally better, period. And anything else is just asking for a mistake. It's like the best example I can think of. Hank Haney is a famous golf coach, was Tiger Woods golf coach for a while. And he, I'll never forget this. He had a tip in a magazine, wasn't even a golf magazine, where he said, too many amateurs try and hit three wood off the tee. And the problem is, they're not good enough. And the three wood still slices or dead pulls or, you know, God forbid, shanks. And now it doesn't, it hasn't gone as far as your driver would have. It's still a bad shot. But now you're further away from the hole. If you had just taken driver, 
Yes, you might have done the same thing, but you'd be 20, 30, 40 yards further down the, the hole. You'd be closer to the flag and you'd be in better position to make a better number. That is, that is this premise. Keep swinging because when you hit, if you hit on a high floor, low ceiling guy, who cares? If you hit on Rashawn Gary, hey, you've got Rashawn Gary. And guess what? This process that they've had has worked out really well for a long time. They've been one of the most competitive. They've been the most competitive NFC franchise consistently in the Aaron Rodgers era since he became the starting quarterback, period, full stop. And yes, a lot of that is Aaron Rodgers. But if you look at the players around him, offense, defense, defense. They brought in a lot of really good players, a lot of really good offensive linemen, running backs, defensive linemen, pass rushers, corners, safeties, linebackers. They brought in a lot of really good players to stabilize this team over the years. There is nothing that says they should change their modus operandi now. All right, we're going to get to Trevor Sikama after this. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online, your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info from all the latest sports developments, including this week's Master Championship odds, podcast reviews, all the different leagues this season. Everything you need in sports is at Bet Online. Live betting on golf. This is this is if you're not if you don't have money on the Masters, like what are you doing? This is one of the most fun gambling weekends that there is because the Masters is just such a blast. Get on it at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. And thanks for making Locked On Packers your first listen every day. Make sure you're following Locked On NFL, Locked On experts covering the biggest stories around the NFL every Monday through Friday in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Joining me now, our old pal from the Locked On Podcast Network, formerly the host of Locked On NFL Draft, now at Pro Football Focus, doing a lot of great work for them, Trevor Sikama. Trevor, this has been, we were just talking before we came on air, an absolutely ridiculous, crazy, bonkers, cuckoo bananas offseason. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know how we even begin to talk about the draft because I still feel like there's 84 storylines that we still need to catch up on. Let's try and focus on the draft here. Before the Devontae Adams trade, if you're going to put put together the needs for Green Bay, what would that list have looked like? I mean, I, I still put would have put wide receiver high. Right. You know, I, I think for years now we've been talking about okay, Aaron Rodgers has Devontae Adams, and then <laughs> what? Like, yeah. I, I like Mar- Marquez Valdez Scantling. Like, I like Alan Lazard. Like, I've liked some of the options that they've had, but. Those are kind of those complementary pieces. And I think 10 years ago, that would have been totally fine because I think 10 years ago, you look at the way that offenses are structured and you go, we have our wide receiver one. We've got the guy who the ball goes to all the time. And then we've got some complementary pieces around them because offenses were so much more evenly split or even rush game dominant run heavy is what we saw a decade ago. But that's not the case now. You can't just have one wide receiver or one main pass catcher, I should say, because tight ends are evolving as well, and then just some random complementary pieces. You've got to have a, you've got to have at least two 
fantastic options that you could go to at any time. And then you get into some of those complimentary guys, the deep threat guys, the guys who you like underneath the big bodied money down players. And so for the Packers, it just, it's felt like they've been behind that curve for a while now. And that was before the Devonte Adams trade. So I would have told you that wide receiver would have been up there, uh, you know, with the moves that they made along the offensive line. I can't remember the exact timeline, but like offensive lines in there with those needs, defensive line is as well, the interior, but probably more of the edge to give them some depth and a lot more rotation, maybe some secondary players as well. But those are a handful of things that when I think about the Packers, I'd probably say that those would their big, be their biggest needs. But now there's no doubt about it. It has to be wide receiver with Devonta Adams gone. So that is, that is no secret. As you look at this draft class, there there is no consensus wide receiver one or two or three or like it, it is it is pretty crazy that that this is where we are with this class. But and and your your pal Ben Solak has been saying this: there are no bad receiver classes anymore. They're just like we, we just get this every year where there's like ten guys who yeah. could come in and 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 help right away. It seems like receivers are more ready to come in than ever and and help your offense. So irrespective of draft spot, you're looking at this class and you're okay, if I could just take one of these guys, pluck him out and put him in the Green Bay offense and go, this is the guy that you would pick. I think my answer to that question would be Jamison Williams, the wide receiver from Alabama, simply because he has the speed and the deep threat element that could get the most out of Rogers' arm. I mean, Rogers is still playing fantastic football as is evidenced by his multi MVPs that he has had over the last couple of seasons. So he is still playing really great. And there are few better quarterbacks who have ever played uh, that are more pure passer than Aaron Rodgers is. And I think that with that, he gives you the ability to attack deep downfield better than a lot of other quarterbacks do. And so where sure everybody in the NFL would love a Jamison Williams when he's fully healthy it's guys like Aaron Rodgers that can really get the most out of his skill set. You know, I do think it's funny. We watch some of these Alabama wide receivers and sometimes they're just so good. They're so much better than their competition, whether it's been Jalen Waddle or Devonte Smith or Jamison Williams or whoever it's been. Sometimes it just feels like we watch these guys run wide open deep down the field and they're catching the ball and it's touchdowns and you go, okay, well, that's not going to happen in the NFL. Well, a lot of times it doesn't happen in the NFL because the competition level is so much closer. The talent gap is so much closer together. You don't normally have quarterbacks that can take advantage in a similar way that they would have had in college. Aaron Rodgers is one of those quarterbacks that I think has that ability. So I would tell you that Jameson Williams probably top of my list, all things considered, as the number one target that I'd love to see in Green Bay. But a lot of those guys make sense. You don't think Garrett Wilson would be a fantastic yards after the catch guy for him. Chris Olave, another very smooth, deep threat receiver who I think is of the same mold of Jameson, maybe just not as fast. You know, then you got gadget players like Traylon Burks, who I think could be a lot of fun. Some big contested catch wide receivers like uh, like Drake London. I mean, you mentioned it. There's so many wide receivers in this class that you think could be really fun. And it's a good class all around. But if you are asking me to rank him, I'd probably put Jameson Williams at the top. It's very much a pick your flavor receiver totally. uh, class. Yes. The, the Jameson Williams question is an interesting one. Where do you think, and this is an impossible question to answer, but where do you think, if we just said, okay, just based on tape grade, where is he in this class? Because I, I have I have heard a lot of people say he is the wide receiver one in this class if he doesn't tear his ACL. 
Yeah, I think that there are a lot of teams in the NFL that also agree with that. He wouldn't be my wide receiver one in this class. The way that I have it right now is I've got Drake London at one, which I know is a stretch for some people because they think that he can't separate. I think he's got a little bit more juice in the tank than even his tape at uh, USC show. So I'm kind of betting on that. So I like Drake London. He's my wide receiver one. Chris Olave is my wide receiver two. And then Jameson Williams is my wide receiver three. And I really, I don't even put Jameson Williams as my wide receiver three with a caveat that's like uh, he's coming off of the ACL injury. He's recovering from that. I I just think that Olave is so smooth. He's such a technician. He understands the position so well. And then Drake London is so dominant at the catch point. He just has such a great alpha mentality for playing wide receiver one in the X position that those, that's why I have those two guys ahead of Jameson. I don't even really think about the injury because his recovery is going great. You know, I've even seen footage already of him warming up and almost running full speed at this point. So I'm not too worried about that. I think he's going to come back and he's going to be fine. So even with the injury aside, I would have him as wide receiver three in this class in my rankings of how I see it for any team in the NFL. I'd probably have Jameson at three. So something we talked about on the show yesterday is if you look at pre-draft visits, the Packers have had some of these first round guys in guys like Traylon Burks. uh, And, and then they've also had, these day two borderline day three speedster types, the Valus Jones juniors, the Taekwon mm-hmm. Thornton's in. And I have been saying really since the Devontae Adams trade that the best way to, to go about this, if they can't get a veteran in, a big name veteran, a DK Metcalf, let's say, is take one of the five or six stud guys that can be your wide receiver ones in the first, and then find a speed guy either on day two or day three, who is going to be your, your basically your MVS replacement, your, your Thorntons, your Alec Pierce's, those kinds of guys. So yep. if, if that is the goal, let's just say that's the roadmap here. And I say, Trevor, what is the best combination of two guys that you can put together who complement each other well and fit the green Bay offense? Who are those two players? This is a good question. So let's say they're going wide receiver at 22. Let's just say they go with Chris Olave because okay. I don't think I don't think Jameson's going to last to twenty two. I don't either. I don't think he's going to. I don't think he's going to be there at that point. He'll make Trey, a great New Orleans Saint. Traylon Burks is a wild card because I don't really know what the NFL thinks of him, and I think that's why he's taking a ton of these official visits is because. Teams still want to know more about him because they watch the tape and they go, okay, this guy's very unique size and speed combination that you just don't see many places. But then he, we, the problem is that we were told that he was going to test like one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen. Yeah. And he didn't. And, and, but, the, but the thing is that like his testing wasn't bad. No. He wasn't, he is, none of his testing was bad. The problem is that we were just told right. that he was, he was something else. <laughs> I think going into the process, somebody told me he was going to have 11 and a half inch hands and he has like nine and a half inch hands. Right. And nine and a half inch hands are big. They're fine. Like, it's not like, it's not a big deal, but compared to 11 and a half inch hands. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just, we thought he was going to run four, four flat at two twenty five, and he ran four, five, five, which is still an 87th percentile speed score. That's still really, really good. Right. But we thought he was going to be this other thing and he's so, just not. So I, I think that a lot of people are, t- that's the reason why you're going to see trailer Burks go on a lot of these, uh, a lot of these visits because teams are really trying to figure him out. So I'm not exactly sure what he goes, but let's say Chris Olave goes 22. I like the name that you brought up. When you said Alec Pierce, I think that's a really good name for them. Obviously, if they want to go pure speed, 
Tequan Thornton's a guy who almost broke the 40 record, right? And so like he he is up there with the best of them. Calvin Austin's another super speedster. He's still very raw in what he is doing, but he's more of a smaller slot wide receiver anyway. So if you wanted to go that route, you could. I'm trying to think of, you know, if you want like a contested catch guy, which I think Ty Freifogel could be a really nice guy in the mid rounds or somewhere on day three that I think he's getting slept on a little bit. He doesn't have super all around game. You know, sometimes he he shows up in spurts, man, two years ago though, when Michael Penix jr. Was healthy at Indiana, him and Ty Freifogel had a really great connection. And that was when he was playing some of his best ball. You put him with a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. I think you might get to see some of the, some of that as well. If you want more of a shiftier guy, Khalil Shakir from Boise State. He's somebody who they moved all around, but I think that he's going to find a home as a slot player in the NFL. But to me, Khalil Shakir is somebody who reminds me a lot of like that Wes Welker kind of Julian Edelman type where this dude just gets open. Like it's, you know, it's third, it's third and six. We need to move the sticks. Khalil Shakir, okay, make something happen for us and he can. So uh, that's kind of the way that I see kind of the rest of those wide receivers. If you go with more speed at the top, which normally, if you're drafting wide receiver with a premium position, you're prioritizing either elite size or elite speed. Sometimes, of course, a combination of both, because the further you get down in the draft, the more scarce that becomes. Right. So if the, if you're going with more of a speed option at the top, because you don't feel like you can get that kind of polish with the speed later in the draft, then yeah, I think that's a handful of different pick your flavor guys, maybe later that they could look at. I love that. I, that that's a, a, a really good way of looking at it. So a couple other spots where I think Green Bay is is going to be looking here. Uh, they're they're pretty good with their starters on the edge. Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary. Right. But you mentioned trying to get some depth in there. I, I think this is a, a spot where they're probably going to use a premium pick. They have two. They have four picks in the top sixty. I will be shocked if one of them is not an edge player. So. Of the of the guys that are probably going to go in that sort of top seventy five range, who are some names? I, I personally am a big fan of of uh, Drake Jackson. I don't know why all the USC guys are named Drake. Um, I like Nick Benito from Oklahoma, and then there's the first round guys. Could George Karloftis be there? Arnold Abicadi, mm-hmm. um, uh, Boye Who are the guys that you think would would make some sense and could be available in that? 20s range and then that 50s range yeah i mean think i think all four of the names that you had there were the four that i would have said of the guys that you're going to prioritize like i think maybe carlostis gets there but you can even take him off the board and i think boy mafe and our libicade potentially at number 28 for the packers or potentially somewhere early on day two makes a ton of sense for him if they want those two guys they're probably going to have to think about taking them at 28 at the back end of the first round because they are very high-end explosive players. And I think that that's really what the Packers look for. They look for those athletes off the edge. And I think the Boye Mafe and, and Arnold Libicate are going to be exactly what they are looking for. I I like Drake Jackson a lot, man. I, I, don't, I, I think that Drake Jackson is the most underrated prospect in this draft class. Wow. I, I, don't, I don't know why he's not getting more hype. And I think people thought that he was going to, and when I say people, I mean like myself included, <laughs> I thought he was going to take a leap in production this year because I saw some really nice flashes from him last year as a speed rusher, as a guy who really knew how to bend and dip and get around those offensive tackles. Some of his best moves are pro bowl caliber type of moves. And he still showed you that flash this year, but again, they were just in flashes. They weren't something that consistently showed up week in and week out, but I think the potential is there for him. I really like Drake Jackson as an edge rusher to take a chance on on day two. 
I'm not the biggest fan of Nick Benito. I know he had a really great combine, but he was always going to have a good combine. Like that's always been his calling card. And if he didn't have a good combine, that was going to be very glaring. So, you know, with his game, it's built around, he is a smaller edge rusher. It is all about speed for him. So if the Packers were like, for example, like in on Josh Uche's type of player, he ends up going to the Patriots. But like if the Packers fans or if the Packers were super in on that, this is kind of like a similar mold or at least a similar thought process of a guy you would go after. I'm not the biggest fan of Benito, but if they want speed, unique speed as an edge rusher, then he could also make sense for him. Uh, name to look out for on day three, though, I would just say Ali Fayette. I like Ali Fayette a lot from Western Michigan. I think he's going to be a really nice day three pickup for somebody. He put on an absolute show at the East West Shrine Bowl. Now, wasn't the best offensive tackles that he was going up against. But if that's the case, you want to see him dominate. He absolutely dominated. He had a lot of really nice pass rush moves that he was showing. Double digit sack guy this past year. Really got in the lab and learned um, a lot of different moves, a lot of different things in his toolbox that he could go to at any given time. And so I think that he's still learning. Didn't test as well as I thought he was going to, which means I think he's going to go day three. But he's got to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, Drake Jackson, he put on 20 pounds from the combine to his pro day, which is a two-month span. And then ran the second. And then pizza, pizza, pizza and creatine. That's what and, that is. But then he ran a seven, uh, a shade under seven one three cone, and had the second fastest short shuttle at the USC Pro Day, faster than the receivers that they had there. I mean, he, the the movement skills are are crazy for him. He's the man. One more position I want to ask you about before we get out of here. Mm-hmm. Safety is a, is a bit of a sneaky need for the Packers, and I think it's it has now been talked enough about enough that it's no longer a sneaky need. Everyone just understands. This could be the last year of Adrian Amos. The Packers have a decision to make on Darnell Savage, fifth-year option, although I think they're going to pick that up mm-hmm. um, and, and get another year to evaluate him before they they get a, a long-term extension on the books, which I also still think eventually gets done. This is, this is an interesting safety class, especially at the top, because there's Kyle Hamilton, and then there's a really intriguing group of like five to eight guys who could all go between right. pick 25 and pick 75. Who, who of those guys do you like the Packer fans should have an eye on? Well, I mean, it just depends where they're picking, right? I mean, like if they're picking at 28, you're going to be out. I mean, Jaquan Brisker's going to be on the table. Jalen Petrie's probably going to be on the table. Lewis Seen might still be there. Daxton Hill could yep. still be there. So like all of those guys, I think, bring a lot to the table. Jaquan Brisker, I think, is more of a strong safety type. He's not like a single high coverage kind of a guy. But if you're playing two safeties deep, he's a good like rat hole defender and a guy who's going to play downhill. For you, I think he'd give you a lot of physicality. Jalen Petrie, he can fill like a pseudo slot kind of a player, big slot role, if you will, because he was really great in slot coverage, especially man coverage when we saw him playing at the senior bowl. Daxon Hill is just a fantastic athlete all around. So is Lewis Seen. I think those two guys, if you're looking for top-tier athleticism at the position, you could go with that. If you're going a little deeper, I mean, I I interviewed Brad Hawkins when he was at the East-West Shrine Bowl. He's the other Michigan safety. I thought he was great. Got a really great head on his shoulders, understands the position super well. So he's somebody they could have their eye on somewhere on day two. Uh, The Cincinnati safety, Brian Cook, same way. A lot of experience there for him. If they want more of a depth guy this year, maybe see what they've got, see what their options could be next year when it comes to free agency. Maybe they don't want to spend as high of a pick on that. Kirby Joseph, same way, the safety from Illinois. I think those are day two-ish kind of players that – they're not going to start for you. I don't think they're going to compete for a starting role, but you know, if you ever want to go three safeties deep, you can get a guy who even in their rookie season might have a lot of experience under their belt from college, say like a Brian cook or something like that, where you're seeing what he's like on the field. You're seeing if maybe 
they can start once one of those guys, whether it's Savage or Amos, isn't there next year. So again, that's probably the way that you've got to look at this safety class. It just all depends where they want to target those guys. But those are a couple of buckets, if you will. If they're looking at the beginning, those are a handful of players. If they're looking somewhere on day two, those are the guys I think they target. All right, I said last one, but but seriously, last one. It, as concisely as you can explain yes. to me why Travis Jones is not getting more hype because I watched the tape and I'm just like, this guy is an MF like he, he was dominant at, at in mobile, mm-hmm. even against someone like Zion Johnson, who's going to be a first round pick at garter center. Mm-hmm. I, I just it, explain it to me, Trevor. I don't get it. He's, he's really good. I like Travis Jones a lot, man, especially for, you know, it almost feels insulting to say, especially for what he is, which a lot of people look at him. And when you look at his Yukon tape, you know, he's playing nose, he's playing zero or he's playing one, or he's, he's, he's plugging up gaps. He's taking on double teams, but there's moments of him taking on double teams and not even losing an inch on the point of attack and ripping by him and getting in the backfield. And so, yeah, I, I think that he's, I think he's great, man. I think from a strength profile, if you were looking for an anchor in your interior, you can pick this guy at the back end of the first round and be happy with it, right? I mean, that's where I think that his value starts. He's not going to give you that Vita Vea type of, can you pick him top 15, top 20? I don't think that's his scouting report. But when it comes to the back end of the first round, early part of the second round, he's a damn good football player. You mentioned it. What he was asked to do at UConn, he did damn well. What he was asked to do at the Senior Bowl, he did damn well. And I think there's no reason to not believe that he can't be what you want him to be realistically at the NFL level. So I think that a lot of those flashes, a lot of the strengths, a lot of what you love on tape in college is going to show up in the pros. And so a lot of it is, you know, sometimes Peter, you know, this like the draft is a little bit of an imagination game, right? Like even if you have a, even if you were a really good player, if you don't have this imagination ceiling to you, sometimes people get bored of you and they, they want to put these other guys who are like, yeah, but what if this guy hits the ceiling? Like they put those <laughs> yeah. players ahead of Travis, Travis Jones. And uh, like I said, he's just a damn good football player. And I think that uh, we should prioritize that more than we do. I absolutely agree. If he is one of the Packers two first round picks, I will, I will be very happy about it. I think he is awesome. I think him and Kenny Clark in the, in the inside is an absolute nightmare for opposing interior offensive linemen. Good luck trying to block those two guys. Trevor, this was awesome. Thank you, man. Let my listeners know where they can find your, your work now that it is somewhere else. You're, you're, yes. You've been do, doing great stuff over at Pro Football Focus. Yeah, over at PFF.com. That's where all my written work can be found. Uh, for all the podcast people out there, NFL Stock Exchange, myself and Connor Rogers, we do an NFL draft podcast three days a week all the way up to the draft. And we're even going to be doing stuff in the summer as well, like redraft grades and um, current draft grades and all that kinds of good stuff. But yeah, PFF.com, uh, NFL Stock Exchange, and then of course on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. But appreciate you, Pete. This is awesome, man. Anytime. Good to talk to you, brother. All right. Thanks to Trevor for joining the show. Always great to talk to him. He is the best. I love him. He's he's not only a, a really smart football person, he is great behind the mic and just an awesome guy. So thanks, Trevor. We appreciate you, man. And thanks for making Locked On Packers your first listen every day. Make your second listen Locked On NFL Draft. Ryan Tracy and former NFL corner Eric Crocker bring the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available on all platforms. All right, we're going to be back tomorrow. A mailbag show, uh, unless there's news. So send your questions to me. Hit me up on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Hit me up um, on the the show's handle at Locked on Packers. 
send me a DM, whatever you want to do. Um, I would love for you to subscribe to the show on iTunes would be great. We've had a huge new audience influx on iTunes. What's up, everybody on iTunes? Please rate and review the show here. Uh, we, we would love you to do that and spread the word about what we're doing on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all that good stuff in the podcast audio feed as well. And if you want to hit me up for the Mailbag Show on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775. Stay Locked On Packers.